Move, counter move, detect, prevent, and defense. Being a CISO is like waging a never-ending chess game against players you don't know, can't see, and attack without warning. On this podcast, cybersecurity experts from Zscaler's Office of the CISO have a pragmatic dialogue on cyber risks, current attacks, and security trends. Welcome to the CISO's Gambit. Hi, this is Brad Moldenhauer. Welcome to another edition of the CISO's Gambit. Today, I am joined by Danny Connolly and sitting in the United Kingdom, Mark Lewick. Hey there, everyone. And coming live from the French capital, we have Nicolas Casimir. Bonjour. Bonjour à tous. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Excellent. And so today's topic, we are going to talk about data privacy protection and the Cloud Act. Now, to give a little bit of background on that, the Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data Act, or Cloud Act, is a United States federal law that was enacted in 2018 by passing of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of the same year. And the Cloud Act primarily amends the Stored Communications Act of 1986, which allows federal law enforcement to compel US-based technology companies via warrant or subpoena to provide requested data stored on servers, regardless of if that data is stored in the US or on foreign soil. And so really the question that we wanna tackle is, should we be afraid of the Cloud Act? And Nicola, I know that we've had some interesting developments within the Conseil d'État or the Council of State. So why don't you lead off our discussion on this topic? Yes, I, I thank you for the introduction and 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 just a question before we dig in into that cloud act and that story about the French highest court of justice. I think it's also interesting to to define the reason why um, U.S. government has defined uh, that uh, uh, cloud act first of all, and 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 I don't know if you remember or you have some more contextual information, but I think. It, all of, the, all of that story started with um, an inquiry with, with, uh, with Microsoft uh, and they were um, uh, looking and investigate uh, about something and they were asking to get some data from Microsoft um, and, and, and Microsoft were uh, basically storing those data outside the US and they were a bit concerned about not complying with the laws if they would give to the U.S. authorities, those data. So I think, first of all, um, it, it's also good to remind to everyone that that Cloud Act was based uh, on, on that story. Um, so all of those stories start with uh, the, the GAFA rulings and so on. So it's also, I think, a, a good reminder to make. Um, and. I was I was surprised to see uh, a recent ruling in France um, about a, a partnership that was established in between Doctolib, uh, a French and German organization, with the French uh, Ministry of Health, and basically um, uh, the French Ministry of Health were was partnered, partnering with Doctolib for the vaccination campaign here, and and so Doctolib provides a service where you can. Uh, book and um, uh, uh, schedule um, a meeting with a doctor. And there were some concern about um, the data protection of that supposed to be um, health information. Uh, 
And and so I wanted to uh, raise that question to you guys to to discuss about the Cloud Act and and it is really a concern for for instance for our customer or yeah so I think the subject is very interesting and just to to finish that story with Dr Lieb the the Conseil d'État the the highest uh, administrative French court was ruling in favor of Dr Lieb uh, because they were basically considering that. Um, Uh, the data that has uh, been stored uh, within Doctolib and, and mostly into AWS, Amazon uh, subsidiary uh, company, uh, was well protected, was not that critical because it's just appointment. And the reason why um, those appointments uh, is been made, which would have been related to the um, uh, health states of the patient, Uh, wasn't mentioned into those, those meeting uh, recordings. And, and so basically they were saying that it, the, the information was not that critical. And in addition to that, um, any of those appointments were being stored, uh, encrypted and the uh, encryption key were stored into, a French, in, into another French organization within Atos. Uh, and, and so basically, even if those data is stored into Amazon, Uh, it's not in clear text, it's not accessible. Uh, right. um, so yeah, I, I, I was thinking that it was, you know, a, a great story to share, a great starting point to discuss about the Cloud Act. Yeah. So Nicola, there's a really interesting point in all of that. <clears throat> and that is something that I've been harping on about for years and years and years, the difference between perceived risk and real risk. And specifically organizations which don't have a good mature Um, real assessment of risk, you often perceive risks as much higher than they actually are. Now, let's not, let's, pulling back a step or two, let's not, let's not pretend that this isn't a real issue. The recent Schrems 2 decisions by the, uh, by, by, by the EU was specifically aimed, not technically aimed, but specifically it was obvious it was aimed at the Cloud Act in that you are to ensure you have adequate protection of your your data subjects, personal information so that it is uh, immune from or protected against unwanted government uh, surveillance. And okay, there may be a couple other countries out there that, that uh, have a little bit of unwanted or unwarranted surveillance, but the Cloud Act was where this was aimed. So let's break this into two pieces. That's a fantastic example because it's like, come on, this isn't really that bad a deal. But on the other side, it is up to an organization to look and actually make a real decision about the data they're holding and how much control and protection it really merits. Yeah, um, we had so many great points there, but uh, Mark, I couldn't agree with you more on this whole notion of the misconception of risk. I, I, we, you know, we get into a lot of conversations, I think collectively with, um, you know, customers and prospective ones. And, and that seems to be an underlying theme at times with a lot of those discussions. But, you know, my own personal experiences with this cloud act, it, it kind of takes me back to a, a scenario that I had where, you know, we had recently enabled a, um, you know, an office 365 tenant. And, um, You know, at the time I was, um, you know, managing a global security program for an international law firm. And uh, the idea became, hey, can we start to refactor some of our systems of record for litigation or for document management and move them to the cloud? You know, for all the obvious benefits that we know that the cloud provides. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to that was the risk 
of the third party blind subpoena. And what I meant by, or what I mean by that- So is glad, that, Brad, you brought it up. Yeah, <laughs> so, but the concern there, and I worked very closely with our general counsel and, and several other individuals on this. And the concern was, is that, you know, and by the way, taking a step back, one of the things that we primarily did from a litigation perspective was we helped international companies that had problems with the United States government. That's the layman explanation of it. So when you start thinking about data associated with litigation, and that's the, the primary issue, whether it's trade or whatever else have you, you might have some pretty sensitive nuggets of information. And the, the concern was if you know, an organization such as the Federal Bureau of Investigation showed up at the door of Microsoft with a third-party blind subpoena asking for all of our data, Microsoft would be compelled to hand that over, and then they would be hit with an ensuing gag order where they didn't have to tell us what had happened. That was the concern we had, yeah. Yeah, so let me just clarify that one step more, and they are allowed to report the fact that it has happened. <laughs> Sadly, only how many times it's happened. And even that is in category. So zero to 250 times. Right. Uh, here at Zed Skidder, we're, we're proud to say ours is zero mm -hmm. at the moment. Um, and, and we're able to report that it's zero. But that is the key. If a government was to say, I want to be able to have the right to subpoena data that's on foreign uh, ground, and I'm going to be transparent about it, I actually think that the uh, European Union would probably would have said, okay, because that seems <laughs> like fair data transfer. It's this whole... I want to look at the data and no one can know. That is what's called unwarranted surveillance. Now, admittedly, the Cloud Act, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, also limits the data to foreign nationals rather than US citizens, right? Yeah, um, the Cloud Act um, is uh, directed towards uh, any uh, US organization, no matter where they are storing uh, their data. So it's not an extraterritorial treaty or uh, yeah. laws. It's, it's something that is related to the US uh, companies. Uh, the, 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 there are still that um, um, reciprocal uh, laws, or, which mean that basically um, if uh, the US government is able to ask for the data to, uh, for instance, a French organization, um, uh, the the opposite, a French organization can, uh, or a French, sorry, the French government can ask the same things to the US uh, uh, organization. And, and, and the goal of the CLAD Act is to speed up those inquiries for not having to go through court of justice of uh, local uh, entities or local countries. And, and to speed that up. So this is, I don't know if I answered your, your question. So I think what, what our esteemed French colleague is saying is that the Cloud Act was there to uh, build some shortcuts into the international Definitely. Data. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. In one, or one country's favor. Being on the investigative side of cybersecurity and trying to figure out exactly what happens with it in a breach, um, because ultimately you have to do that level of investigation and really understand what was potentially compromised or exfiltrated. How do you do that when you have services throughout the cloud, right? And you don't have access to maybe their log data. Cloud Act is really about criminal investigation and, and it requires still a warrant, a mandate to ask for the data. So it's, it's really establishing a, a, a law framework for the US government to ask uh, to access data and in a sense 
it means that uh, they have still to respect uh, that framework. Then they are not allowed to do anything they want. Define what data is in this case. Like, so, so, cause I immediately, when you said data, I immediately thought of forensic, like a, a forensic image, you know, yeah. and it's not, it's not completely not about that. It's really after data. And I mean, data um, stored on services um, managed and owned by uh, affiliates of, or of us of organizations. And we're not talking about, you know, the, the, the forensic logs or anything like that. We're really talking about the actual data that is used by non-US citizens. Uh, you know, we've discussed what the Cloud Act is and what the US government is after. That is a, that's a given, we know that now. The question then becomes, how do we assess the personal information we're carrying and bringing this very carefully into the subject and why the four of us are talking about this today, does, that, does the Cloud Act impinge on or otherwise um, is it, does it, is it required? Do we have to assess this for the data that Zscaler processes for our customers? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, topic, but before, uh, we are jumping to that, uh, element, um, oh, that's, that's uh, a little, little editor and put yours before that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, loves an edit, uh, but, but, but I think that we, we should also remind everyone that, um, uh, whenever the European court of justice, um, was invalid invalidating the privacy shield, it's also reinforced the standard contractual clauses. Uh, but, but the problem is that before the invalidation of the privacy shield, companies were able to refer to it very easily without you know, taking care of what technical measure was in place to protect their data. But now they are forced to evaluate that by themselves. And I think that that, sweet, uh, that shift in in terms of responsibility and, and, and uh, uh, is critical to understand the reason why organization is concerned about um, US ability to get some data. Uh, I agree with you, but the, the privacy shield, forgive me for saying this, was always a bit of a bit of paper armor. It was never definitely something that could be really relied on. It was self-certified for one. It was yeah. quite loose. And I think it was just one of these, yeah, we're going to agree between the EU and the, and the US because gosh, there's a lot of trend, you know, there's a lot of trade here and we want to protect that. We're not going to really look under the covers too tightly. And Schrems too said, finally, no. Yeah, finally, no, because of the Cloud Act. You're right. Yeah. But, but, but the fact that it was self-certified and it was uh, also the case for the previous uh, agreement, the safe harbor, uh, yeah. the Schrems one, it was also the case, a self-certificate certificate process. But, but uh, with that, um, I think that organizations were less concerned because there were an agreement uh, in between states. Uh, it's true that it was a, a made in paper. It was not very consistent, not very, no verification was made, but, in, but we can still lay on it. But now the organization with the Schrems to inv the invalidation has still to assess uh, their security, their provider to, to make sure that they are um, applying the right measure and everything is now um, uh, on, the, on the organization responsibility. And, and I think this is the reason why organization has that concern about the Cloud Act, that concern about um, about their data, where they are, and so on, and 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 we also should remind everyone, uh, everyone, the kind of fines 
that is related to uh, you know uh, that leakage of information. For GDPR, it's like uh, 20 million, if I'm correct, and and up to four percent of the worldwide turnover for an organization. So it's a lot. For uh, CCPA, the Californian uh, Protection of Data Privacy, it's also uh, a, a big amount, I think. Yeah, well, look at so, uh, the British the British Airways fine for where the organizations are really starting to apply some some real fines. Now, I don't actually believe that if a if a company didn't protect their data well enough against the U.S. government, that they're going to be hit that high because it's really about negligence. But if that organization didn't even look at their data and 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 didn't protect it adequately, they might be. But yeah, listen, and it's also it's also but so, it's also uh, a question of data transfer. And, and this is the reason why I'm talking about, uh, about that. The fines is also very related to data transfer and, and, and data transfer is central to Cloud Act. Is where is the data and who can access to, to that data? That was uh, briefly uh, uh, explained by you, Mark. Uh, we, can, we can potentially uh, also add to the list that we are uh, obfuscating uh, the username and the IP address uh, of the users. Uh, up to the choice uh, of the customer. So basically, um, it can allow us to, to see the username in clear text or just letting us, for instance, whenever a support ticket is open, let, letting us only access to the uh, encrypted information where the username is replaced by a serial ID. So I, I think it's also something interesting. Uh, we know for sure that we, we uh, are protecting um, our uh, log data with uh, uh, tokenization, for instance, with some some way to 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 store uh, the, the token keys uh, in a different environment, and so that basically the administrator of uh, the user administrator has to access simultaneously the logs and uh, and that special uh, place where we are storing that token key. But we, we, we have also additionally to that, uh, that obfuscation, which is helpful to, to demonstrate that we care about um, uh, the privacy uh, of the users and, and, and so on. So, yeah. And, and also what, what is interesting probably in the Dr. Lieber story is, is that they were um, um, anticipating um, uh, the cloud act, uh, cloud act uh, process and basically they were uh, associating within the contract some clauses that is defining our user can react upon a, a request from the US uh, government from the US authorities so, so it's I, also I, something I, that is was included I think we need you know I, I want to bring this back to Zed together again yep because uh, it's germane and that is that you know I'm going to the bad news here for our customers is that we have thousands of customers and we can't change our practices. We have changed our practices to, to better protect data, but we have a standard set of practices now. So our clauses are not going to change, but our protective capability is very good. But again, this is contextual and it's based on a customer's risk calculus on the sensitivity and the impact of, that, of, of the loss of that data. So after... After that, you know, when, when looking at the GDPR, you have multiple, you, know, you protect the data that's under management, <clears throat> but there are a couple others. You can uh, ensure that 
the data is uh, is 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 protected when it's in use, that's fine. You can then also prevent it from being recorded. So a couple additional steps we have that we can help our customers if, if, if our existing practices are not good enough is first of all, to reduce the amount of personal information we have. And we would recommend obfuscation at your IDP layer. In other words, when you communicate with us, don't share your actual usernames and, and, and just share a tokenized one, AD, uh, uh, Azure AD and AD have this capability, other IDPs as well, uh, do as well, so that we only receive tokenized data. That doesn't remove us from the personal information game entirely. We're still looking at IP addresses and so forth, but it reduces again the impact and it means that we, uh, our, your risk calculus should go down. We have another possibility yet where we have something called a private analog server, where instead of storing that on our corporate servers, it, that data is squirted directly on site to yourself under your management in your country. And at this point, we no longer have access to that data. That is the ultimate solution. <clears throat> uh, and, and although there is cost involved, um, these three layers, trusting our existing capability, obfuscating the data before it gets to us or tokenizing the data before it gets to us, and then using our private and analog server to reduce um, and, and to, to reduce the US influence entirely, you have a wide palette of, of options in order to solve the problem when you're working with said scale. I think that we have reached a natural end of our discussion on data privacy protection and the Cloud Act. And hopefully we have kind of answered that question. Should we be afraid of the Cloud Act? From the four of us until the next time, we'll see you on the CISO's Gambit. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the CISO's Gambit with Brad Moldenhauer and Danny Connolly. Check back with your podcast provider regularly for more episodes. Brad and Danny are both CISOs at Zscaler. You can find their profiles on LinkedIn or reach out to them and other CXO transformation leaders in the Zscaler CXO community LinkedIn group. Zscaler is a zero trust exchange cloud security provider for some of the largest companies on the Forbes Global 2000. Find out more about Zscaler at zscaler.com. Copyright 2021.